We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 117, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm joined today by Alex Truica and a uh, new guest host. And so, Frances, a little bit behind the corner, Frances, uh, almost over a year ago, had originally reached out to you about coming on the show, and I'm happy that we were finally able to get you on. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be finally able to talk to you on your pet podcast. Well, today, Alex is going to help me with La Grande Pagunta. That's going to be all about Felipe Coutinho asking what is his best position. And then we're going to head over and we've got some great questions from the closed Facebook group, La Ronda, that's tvpod.link backslash group. And that gets you in to ask those questions. And the ones you hear on the show, they get preferential treatment. If anything, our Patreons get first preferential treatment, and then it's our closed Facebook group where they can ask those questions. So again, that's what you hear from that. That'll be later in the show. Let's start, though, Alex, with La Gran Pagunta. What is Felipe Coutinho's best position? And this doesn't even uh, come from kind of trying to figure out um, his best position. It's, it's all start and, and started from what seems to be a lack of form and what seems to be a, 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 a lack of being comfortable on that left wing, which is where Valverde has now played him in the last, you know, just looking at La Liga, he played as the left interior in the first uh, six games in the league and has played in at the left wing for the last seven he's been in. And he has two goals at center midfield with one assist, two goals at left wing. And those both came at against Sevilla and Real Madrid. And an interesting note, but uh, I, the first question will start with this. Uh, since again, he t- made the transition to left wing and was also out for a little bit of time. Most recently, do you think that recent injury could be playing a factor? And that was a one where he missed now three weeks in November. So you're starting off with a question that people are actually fighting over and arguing on Twitter about. So this is a tricky one. Uh, I have to be careful. A lot of people listening now and will <laughs> yeah, probably come to my mentions later in, in complaining. I think he is actually an attacking mid meaning he's an hybrid between left midfielder, left winger, and attacking midfielder. So he, obviously he can play all these three positions, and he did it already at Barcelona, depending on the opponent, depending on the tactics, depending on if Dembele plays or not. But I think his best position is uh, as attacking midfielder slightly to the left of the, of the in this case, midfield, 
meaning not exactly Iniesta's position, which which was on the left, but was more centrally or more in central midfield. I think he's more an attacking midfielder. For example, like um, David Silva at at Man City, where he's playing on the left-hand side of the 4-1-4-1, and he's playing with freedom to cut inside or to float around. So, yeah, I think this is his best position, attacking midfielder and then on the left-hand side of it. It's a funny thing you mentioned, that, that left midfield position, because in that Valverde 4-4-2, uh, Coutinho has only played at what you call the left midfielder spot at in one appearance, where he, in, the, in that appearance, have a goal or an assist. But other than that, the other stats here, he's played at that central midfield position for nine times this season, three goals, four assists. At left wing, it's been ten times, three goals, two assists. He's also come off the bench four times with one goal, uh, and that... The, the, in the sub-appearances, that winds up being the worst rating according to whoscored.com, which, again, something that we generally use here on the show and trust statistically. Um, so it looks like, again, coming on as a sub doesn't necessarily suit what he's been for Barcelona. And th- I want to get to the bottom of, uh, as you just mentioned, that the best role that you see him in, and I think people would agree with, the best that we saw of him from Liverpool as well, is a position that doesn't necessarily exist in Valverde's version of Barcelona, in all the incarnations we've seen it in, either the 4-3-3 or the 4-4-2. And with that said, do you think that for uh, Coutinho, that he still just doesn't fit with the profiles of his teammates and working in that system? Or do you think it might just come down to Valverde's version of Barcelona? And, And I'm not kicking Valverde out, but saying if there was another man in charge doing certain different things with the squad, that maybe the best of Coutinho would be coming out then yeah again that's that's again a tricky topic because um valverde did use him in a way that benefited the team for example at spurs away to to tottenham to tottenham where he played on the left hand side but more as a, 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 a without possession he was more in midfield on the wing and with the ball he was more an attacking threat threat um, as a winger or even as an attacking midfielder so he played like basically three positions at once depending on which team had the ball depending on on tactical shapes of Spurs and of Barca as well so you can make a case for him to be used properly by Valverde in the 4-4-2 you know because they basically played a flat 4-4-2 without possession but it was a 4-3-3 Three-three uh, with possession. So there's that. But in general, if they play four-three-three, I say yeah, it's tricky to fit in Coutinho because for me he's not a na- natural winger. So for me, I would pick Dembele on the left turn side on the left as left winger in the four-four-three. Uh, and for in midfield, Coutinho he didn't settle in, did he? A central midfielder right now i mean i know they they bought him to be to be uh, sorry to be iniesta's replacement but or successor but he still has trouble right he still has problems to settle in in that role so yeah right now it's still tricky we didn't figure out where his best position is right now yeah i agree with that and i think that's a catch-22 of this that you know would this even be a conversation his what we're calling being out of form if he wasn't the club's most expensive transfer ever. The way the market is, that number for a player that has scored 54 goals, 45 assists, and 201 appearances for Liverpool was going to cost that much uh, forever. But it's to me, you look at then rotations, that 
a guy like Coutinho at his price, you can't just say that he's got to fit in and you figure out where to put him based on the, the rest of the talent that you have. You ask what the rotation for the central midfield is if we think he's a central midfielder, and it seems like there's just there's just now wind up to be, for all the injury bugs and issues we have, and there's actually an article, a plug for this, and an article on barcelblog.com at the moment that recently came out from Soham about the uh, the injury bug that I don't think we're talking about um, at the club. Obviously, that took Rafinha for the season, Samper, if he was ever going to get in, is out, and you saw Elena Denis Suarez start the year late. Uh, they had injuries in the, in the preseason. But nevertheless, for that central midfield rotation, you now have Artur, Arturo Vidal, Rakitic, and Busquets for what is three positions, and those four guys already. If you had Coutinho to the mix there, and with Malcolm out also dealing with an injury, that means your wings are, in theory, Messi is technically one of the, in, in a 4-3-3, Messi is technically one of the wings, even though obviously he's more central. But then your other wingers wind up just being Dembele, Malcolm when he's healthy, Denise Suarez, in theory, is another winger um, when, he, when he comes on the field. And then who else? I, I think that's where Coutinho on this team needs to fit. But as I mentioned, the hardest thing to do is admit that you have this, the most extensive transfer ever, and you're saying, well, we have kind of all the other positions set. We kind of need you at left wing more than it is that maybe you need to be playing at left wing. Yeah. So the thing is, he adds versatility. So versatility, even in tactics, you play, you can play different lineups with him. So this is uh, obviously something positive here, right? You can use it in, in different positions. And also, you can... You don't have to use him all the time, so he's not a natural winger. So you always have to play him. If if the tactics are, I don't know, like you 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 uh, want to play more defensively, right? You can leave him out and put him later on. Or if you want to play more possession-based football, and you say you don't want three or two natural wingers, right? Like Dembele and another one, because he always plays more in the mid field Coutinho so he gives you versatility and, and tactical versatilities and all that but yeah he doesn't have that one natural position that's definitely true and that's definitely a problem as we can see um, because yeah he didn't in my opinion he still struggles to kind of find his role I mean I found him pretty pretty good against Inter I mean he he, he didn't have the, the end product he didn't finish off chances but he played more in, in the center again, more from, from deep. And I think he was pretty good without Messi because him and, and Luis Suarez were the, the attacking threats in that game. And he did reasonably well. But again, he played offensive midfielder or attacking midfielder. So, yeah. You see, it, it heavily depends on the, on the opponent and on the tactics and on the tactical shape of that match. Well, you're right about that Inter game. He was the man of the match. With He also had the assist in that 1-1 draw against Inter uh, that you're yeah. alluding to. And that was, again, pre-injury. And since he came back from that 22-game layoff, he hasn't gone on the score sheet. He doesn't have an assist. And since being back, though, I think he has been just fine. Uh, again, not something that has excited everyone and people are starting to worry. This playing against PSV, Villarreal, Espanyol, and Tottenham. But the important note in those four games to me is that it's three wins and a draw, the draw being obviously against Tottenham in a game that, as we talked about, really didn't matter as much and seems because Tottenham winds up making the next round, seems like people cared a whole lot more about that. And not trying to devalue Tottenham winning 
um, or not winning. That's again, it's 40 and slip because it feels like Tottenham won. And we've been made to believe by the English media that Tottenham won, but it was just a draw for Barcelona, even where they're trotting out Miranda for 90 minutes and Alenia getting just his, his what, third start of 90 minutes for Barcelona. Um, nevertheless, with three wins and a draw for the team, the team seems to be clicking and, and vibing and doing well. And that makes me much, much less worried because if the team as a whole is playing well, I think this is, again, kind of a cop-out where our Legrand Pergunta was, is what is Felipe Coutinho's best position? And I, I'm going to almost add the qualifier that it doesn't necessarily matter what his best position is as long as he's having a positive influence on the team and the team is getting great results um, with him on the field. And so far, since he's come back even, we've seen that. So if he winds up rounding into form, and again, this is only the fall, so you can get out. I, I have the same words about Sergio Busquets, where he's not been perfect so far this season. But if Sergio Busquets and Felipe Coutinho are rounding into form in March and April, that's a whole lot more important than before the winter break. So this is one of those where Coutinho's, uh, his form is a little worrying, but it seems like Valverde has found that his best position is at left wing. And moving forward, I think he'll get more and more comfortable as it goes on, even if that's not a natural fit. I think it's it's figuring out how he can be a fit alongside Suarez and working with Artur. And I think the last point I'll make about this is looking at that Tottenham match in a vacuum. I saw that Juan Miranda at the left-back position, again, his first start, 90 minutes, Champions League debut, probably nervous as well. He did much better than he did in the midweek game against Cultural Leonesa. But for Miranda and Coutinho, they have never started a professional game together. So to expect them to have the kind of chemistry that we see on that on that left wing, whether it was Jordi Alba and whoever it may be, you're just not going to get that because they, they've trained together, but they have not played and started matches together. Same thing with Artur. The combination of Coutinho, Artur there uh, as, as the left interior and Miranda is something that you cannot replicate the the what it takes in a match to have that kind of chemistry in training. So I would guarantee the second time that three combination would be together would be much, much better. And so it's just that fluidity and chemistry with who he's playing with, uh, that just takes time. Yeah, of course. And also since you men mentioned uh, the Spurs game just um, two days ago, on paper he played the left winger, but only on paper because if you look at his heat map, which I'm doing right now, you can see that he basically played more in Iniesta's position, more in the attacking uh, left-turn side, as I said, the attacking midfielder on the left-turn side, just more attacking than Iniesta did, right? Because Iniesta was ob obviously uh, all around the, the place and controlling a lot more and continuous attacking more. But if you, again, look at the heat map, you can see that he's not an out-and-out winger. His heat map is in the attacking third on the left-turn side. So, again, I, I think that doesn't have to be a problem. If you have, as you mentioned, a left back in Jordi Alba who overlaps, for example, you know, who keeps the position on the on the touchline, who does overlapping runs, if if they are interacting, if they are used to their to their game, if they if they link up well, but this takes time, obviously, and also, yeah, with Miranda, there was a different left back now, so obviously, also the the entire game. Right, it was yeah. not that important, so it's difficult to judge him by that game. Although he had two shots against the post, so he he was a goal threat, which is what I like when he comes from from midfield. Um, you know, attacking the the opposition box with Iniesta, you knew 
that you don't really have a goal threat there because he always looked for for the passes and he wasn't good at shooting he wasn't the speediest right so now if you play Coutinho like that you have an actual goal threat from this attacking midfield position on the left turn side so this is what i like but yeah he it still needs time he's he's not really settled yet i think he he's still looking for his role and so does barca and so does valverde i think and we'll throw it to you now, the listeners as well. Let us know what you think his best position is. And uh, if you agree with the fact that it seems like he's going to be left wing, so how can Valverde best utilize him uh, in that position? Or again, give us your comments, give us your thoughts. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, anywhere that we've been posting the show, Facebook, Instagram, all those different things. Well, that's enough about Felipe Coutinho. It's time to move on to La Ronda, which I want to remind you that these questions came from the closed Facebook group at tvpod.link backslash group. And the Patreons uh, over at uh, patreon.com, you just type in the Barcelona podcast or tvpod.link backslash Patreon. That'll send you to that page. They get preferential treatment on these questions. And I also want to... Um, give a uh, an announcement to the patreon page that i've been starting to do some match reviews they're they're pretty quick they come right after at least about 24 hours in between that little window after matches uh again somewhere between five and ten minutes i try to break down the match try to get some of those thoughts off because again this is a long form show that again we don't harp on individual matches as much as we do work on those big ideas so again that's over at tvpod.link backslash patreon now let's not waste any more time it's time for la ronda so first, we have, a, we have a, a bunch of different questions uh, that are, are under the big umbrella of La Masia, Alenia Miranda. First up on these questions from Christopher. From what we have seen from Alenia, although minimal minutes, do you think there is room for him in the current squad? And if not, do you think big clubs have their eye on him, or are we going to loan him out to avoid risk of losing him completely? Well, this is interesting because if you talk about Alenia, you have to talk about Coutinho again, I think. Because as I said, for me, Coutinho's best position is attacking midfielder on the left and I think even Alenia is very good in an attacking midfielder position you remember his first goal last week uh, in the league he scored from a false nine position even yeah he made a, made a run of a typical I mean he, he isn't an attacker so he played as an uh, attacking midfielder and he made a run of a number nine which then Messi saw and played a perfect pass so you saw Coutinho can play this attacking midfield role. Obviously, he can also play as a central midfielder, but I think attacking midfielder is his strength. And then you, as I said, have to talk about Coutinho because they might play the same position even. So it got tricky there. Um, Yeah. If I think there's current room in the squad, well, in general, yes, but... He has some competition, right? As I mentioned, Coutinho. He has Arturo Vidal, who plays. He played basically in the in the Paulinho role, right? Bursting forward, box to box, but like from from a false attacking midfielder position. So you have Vidal as his um, as uh, occupying his position or his space. Then obviously you have a bunch of other players like Denis Suarez, who probably won't feature much longer. Also, Rafinha, you don't know about his future now that he's injured. So he has some strong competition there. So it's difficult, yeah. Well, what about the other guy? Ranga asks, what are your thoughts on Juan Miranda? And the other guy, meaning against Tottenham, could he be our replacement for Alba in the future? Oh, this is... I mean, I've not seen that much about uh, from Miranda, I have to have to admit. 
And the couple of games I watched, he didn't strike me as the super big left back talent, the next big thing, but obviously a super, super small sample size. So I'm not willing to already, you know, judge him by the couple of games I saw. But I think he needs more time, probably even more time in in at Barça B. Uh, more game time, more playing time. He needs to mature a lot. He needs, he needs, yeah, he needs games, 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 games to just to see if it if he has the 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 necessary talent up there. So right now it's tricky. It's also tricky for for Barça obviously to make a call on that, right? If they if they are going for a new left back or if they trust Miranda. Difficult right now. I would say it wouldn't hurt to have an, another left back in case Alba gets injured or something like that in April in March. You know, I, I'm not sure if I if I would like to start with Miranda as left back in I don't know, let's say Champions League semi final away to Man City or something like that. You know, so it's tricky. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And Juan Miranda was going up against. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters on the other side, who was the one who made the error that led to the Dembele goal. Um, so you can see what a young outside back can do uh, if they have a, a misstep. And for me, I think Miranda, what I've seen on the first team level, at least, has gotten better and better. Now, he does excel uh, in, in the lower division, because again, that's in the third division of Spanish football, where Barca B is playing. But I, I think yeah. Miranda, the other comparison is that instead of saying that he's in a mold because he's very different than, than Mark Kukurea, who's now at Ibar and doing better and better there. Those Kukurea is a little more in the album mold, while Miranda's a little more in the Eric Abidal mold. I mean, not comparing the two in any way, but in terms of swashbuckling left backs, that's not really what Miranda is. And so he's it's just a different sight to see than what Alba brings. So if you're, again, popping up and thinking that that's where Jordi Alba, the left back, is going to be, and you you make a pass without thinking. Miranda's not the left back that's going to be in that spot. He just he almost plays a, a different position on the field, if you will, as Alba is so far forward all the time in the left wing. Again, it's just it's just different and takes time. Um, I think you mentioned something interesting because uh, and so also problematic because playing in the third division and then at Barca, the the difference is so big. You know, that's actually a problem for a player. If you only play against third division sides and then suddenly you play a Champions League game or, I don't know, a way to Sevilla, a way to uh, Bilbao, something like that, you know, the difference is so big that this is actually a problem. Yeah, so I'm usually I'm a fan of loans, I have to I have to admit. So I'm not saying we should do a loan right away, because as I said, you have to, to watch him over runs of games how he does and how his development is. But it's the same with Alenia. Sometimes, if you think the the level he's playing on is not is not helping him, in the case of Miranda playing in the third division, sometimes the loan could be very helpful, as in Cucurera's example. Well, and we saw... It, you know? And we saw that, uh, that you know, Miranda was the only beep team player and uh, Alenia and Munir are we'll say younger players on the fringe of the first team trying to get minutes and Charlie Barca asked and this is a good point should Valverde have taken more of a risk and people of course were calling for Puj they were calling for Oral Busquets um, a risk against that what 
wound up being a first-team Tottenham team who were looking for a result, or was this the right balance so the likes of Miranda didn't have their confidence knocked? Because as we've seen during the Copa del Rey, uh, just to interject a little bit here, that in the uh, against Cultural Leonesa, when you have so many B players and fringe, fringe first-team players like Denise Suarez starting, you get guys who are both out of form and guys who have not played at the first division level uh, much at all. So that winds up just taking down the whole quality of the squad when everybody is basically a backup. Um, so to have Miranda play against fellow first-teamers a bit, where either he had Rakitic in front of him or later on he had Busquets in front of him uh, or or vice versa. But either way, uh, to have Miranda surrounded by regular first-teamers a little bit more than just playing a game surrounded by other B-teamers, I think that does help his confidence. But yes, then, I agree. But then the, the counter-argument to that is now you don't get... This, this would, in, in essence, this could have been... Now, they did play on Sunday, Barca B did. So again, they had guys going long in those games. But this was an opportunity to get an Oriol Busquets, who seems to be the next man up to the first team. This was an opportunity to get him um, some Champions League experience. And because you don't want to change too many things against a first team Tottenham, then you kind of you do risk not giving opportunities to the next guys up. Well, I have to admit, I like the lineup. I mean, obviously, you could argue why did did Rakitic start, but he only played 45 minutes, so it made sense. Also, it makes sense to have a, a experienced player in the in the pivot role, you know, who gives you stability, who gives you experience, who's a focal point for both attack and defense. So I, I like the lineup. I think it was the right call, the right lineup. I like the balance. I think it was good for Miranda to, as you mentioned, not only play with fellow B-teamers, as they did at Cultural Leonesa in the first um, leg of the of the Copa del Rey, where, let's be honest, everybody looked very poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it was basically a, a Barca B-side playing there, um, and Vidal, and uh, Silesen, and Denis Suarez, but they looked so, so poor. You couldn't tell the difference between the teams. So, this didn't favor Miranda. Um, this didn't do him a favor. This didn't help him playing against Cultural Leonesa with fellow B-teamers. But I think the game against Spurs did help him because, as I said, you, as you, you mentioned, he has a lot of experience next, next to him. He had um, Barca starters next to him. So I think this is good for his progress and development. But again, if he now, for example, doesn't play again for Barca, say, for five weeks, that's a problem, right? So he had now the, the highest level against Spurs, against the super competitive side. And now he goes back to the third division again for five, six, seven, whatever weeks. This is problematic. Yeah, for sure. And I, I had a conversation with uh, Kevin Williams and, and Naveed, who've both been on the show in the past, uh, the three of us on Twitter, talking about the behind Juan Miranda since Kukurea went out on loan, that there is a little bit of a, of a gap there. Um, with the next left-back talent. So for Barca B, at the moment, you have non-left-backs. You either have center-backs or right-backs playing at the left-back position. But then uh, each level underneath that, there seems to be 
um, a lot of talent. But those kids, again, they're just 16, 15 at, uh, at times, and they're not ready to make that leap to Barca B in the third division. So with Miranda, he's not to say he's needed at Barca B, but there seems to be a hole there. But I think most importantly, it's about facilitating to the first team. Uh, and that is the final question from Minor asking about the recent La Masia players that we've been able to see. How do we rate their progress? Because as we keep saying, it has still been since Sergio Roberto that a real first team player has come from La Masia. Yeah, this is all related. Even the the, the question from Minor, because it's it's all the same stuff. They need game time. They need playing time as the high at the highest possible level. And you don't get that in the third division. Obviously, you get game time, which is necessary, but the opposition is not at the standard level for these players to properly develop. They would need to play against better sides. But at Barca, with the urgency to win every game, to win every possible title, you know that Valverde is always going to to field his best eleven if nobody's injured or, or suspended. Meaning, you know, in Miranda's case, for example, that Alba will start every game. Although he cannot walk anymore because he's so, you know, he's so uh, exhausted <laughs> yeah. or he's suspended or actually injured. But otherwise, Valverde will always start Alba in a game that matters. And this is a problem because Miranda needs game time at the highest level. And this is the, the not only the Miranda problem, the whole the whole um, prospects problem. Alenia, the same thing. He needs game time, game time, game time. But does he get enough game time with Valverde? Pooh, that's a difficult one, right? Yep, 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 for sure. And, and you know, we've been doing some digging. Again, another plug on parcelblog.com. Um, we've been doing our every every Friday. We come out with a La Masia profile uh, on one of the brightest, uh, you know, stars in the team of the young teams, and it. Uh, the more research you do, that not all of them, and, and very, very few of them, there's so many central midfielders in particular, there's so many central midfielders, uh, only a fraction of them are ever going to break into the first team. But I, the more research I do on them and see what they're, what they're doing uh, with players their own age, I think, you know, Barcelona have so many future professionals. Again, maybe just not at Barcelona. So the thing that you ask uh, and when looking down at the youth teams is which of these guys are going to wind up um, being good enough to break through into the first team. And I think that Barcelona in La Masia, for all that they've lost, don't believe that they don't have anything because there's so many talented kids who just, if they're able to progress at the right way and make that final jump and leap up, uh, you, you want to always believe that talent is going to be enough uh, and, and that skill and that l- knowing the system. And even if Alenia isn't a top, top caliber midfielder where he winds up being, you know, you'd say a top 10 midfielder in the world, he still certainly is showing that just at the age of 20, by 25, he could certainly be definitely important enough in a three- or four-man rotation of a midfield at FC Barcelona. Now, shifting a little bit here, we want to talk about a position that you don't have much worry about talent, and that is the goalkeeper position. As Rick says, not really a question, but it'd be great if you talk about Sillison and Alex. I've been waiting. I think he does certainly, Jasper Sillison, deserve to be talked about. The Dutch international, their their number one goalkeeper, the team that knocked Germany out of the Nations League with Sillison (laughs) in net. He had some fantastic saves against Tottenham. And he has always been up to the task. So the question that I pose to you, uh, Alex, about Solson is should the team cash in on him or should they continue to have what is not, I think, a hot take, but continue to have the best backup in the world on their bench? 
Well, I agree with him being the best backup in the world. I certainly agree with that. Personally, I love him. I think he's the perfect second goalkeeper for Barcelona. He can, he can play out from the back. He doesn't complain if he's on the bench. He seems a very likable, nice guy. He doesn't complain, as I mentioned. And when he's needed and when he's getting his game time, he almost always plays not only well, but really, really, really good. We saw against Spurs what he did. You didn't even... Would you have known that he's a second goalkeeper if you if you wouldn't be an expert? Like, you would say that's the starting goalkeeper well, right away there, right? Well, I think that's the argument that he's not a so, backup goalkeeper. A- anywhere yeah. else in the world, he's not a backup goalkeeper. And that's, yeah, that's but, but you see, that's, I mean, it's a perfect position to be in as Barcelona. You can yeah. have such a good second goalkeeper... Where when your first goalkeeper is injured, nobody will miss him. Yeah, because your second goalkeeper is that good. But of course, from a personal perspective of of Silicon, you would like if you know that you are not only the starting goalkeeper at your country, but also you are that talented and that good. Whenever you can, you have the chance to show it. You would like to think, well, maybe I could go to I don't know, say Naples, say Roma, say. I don't know, West Ham or whatever, Everton, whatever team like that. Mm-hmm. Valencia, maybe, you know, just, just dropping names now. <laughs> but I think he could be a starter for all of the, uh, these teams, for teams of this caliber. The question is, does he want that? You know, we don't know that. I, I cannot speak for him. Well, I always... But, yeah. I always think back to Arturo, uh, Arturo, to Arter Turan, uh, and when he was in Barcelona, obviously they're paying them this huge wages to live in Barcelona and sit on the bench. And for uh, Turan, he was fine with that. He was happy enough to say, "Yeah, yeah. I, I like what I like getting paid living in Barcelona. It's great." So for Jasper yeah. Silson, yes, he would want to be starting every match. But if in his career, as we mentioned, he is the Netherlands number one. If he is in a place where he is happy to be uh, starting in those, those cup matches, the rare Champions League matches, and again, in the case, Ter Sagan has not been really injured since Silicon even showed up. But if Ter Sagan as was injured, obviously Silicon then starts every match in that interim. And that said about Silicon too, is, is again that you're he's playing for Barcelona. He's almost guaranteed to win trophies. He's living in the city of Barcelona, which, again, is one of the most enjoyable cities in the entire world. So if he's happy with all of those different factors, then he doesn't really need to move on, again, if he's content with all the things that he has. So you ask me if I would cash in on him? Uh, Yeah, I think from a club's perspective, would you say, well, maybe it's better just to have... I mean, you have Iñaki Pena, who is one of our best goalkeeping prospects in some time, uh, in the in La Masia, so eventually Pena is going to be knocking on that first team door. So I mean, I think that's what that would be the follow up. That if anything, yeah. if he can get you sixty million as a club, as much as it's great to have the best backup in the world, maybe you say if if our if our actual nineteen year old backup is good enough uh, in case of emergency, then I, I, then then from a club's perspective, that's a business perspective. That as much as we yeah, love Silicon, but, but the sixty million you mentioned is just it's just a buyout fee. So it's a that's true. It's a fantasy sum. It's not <laughs> a not the actual worth he has. Right. Because he's he's twenty nine already, and he's only the second goalkeeper. So he he doesn't have a, a value of sixty million. I would say I would say a fair value is between twenty and thirty yeah, million. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, Suros, I agree with that. Obviously. And again, you ask me, would you cash in? Well, it depends. Does he want to move? Is he desperate for playing time? Is he desperate to leave? Like, if I'm the sporting director and Silicon comes to me and say, 
Alex, I, I want to, to leave. I'm not happy uh, anymore being the second goalkeeper. Then, obviously, I would... Yeah, I have to consider selling him if the price is right. And the price is right means, am I happy with 20 million? Am I happy with 25 million? Depends on the offers, right? But if yeah. I have a 20, say, just for the sake of it, say, if I have an offer of 25 million for Citizen and he tells me, yeah, this is, this is it. I want to go. I want to go to join that club. Then obviously I would probably sell him because it's his wish. But. If he doesn't want to leave, if he's happy being number two, I would keep him as long as he wants to, like for the next five years or something, because he's only 29. And he's, again, as I said before, he's the perfect second goalkeeper for Barcelona in my eyes. Yeah, I agreed with you originally about the 25-30. Then the more you, you, you continue to talk and remind me of the great things that Solson is doing and being only 29, that uh, I think 25-30 to 30 is where negotiations start. And I think depending on the club that 40 is with the goalkeeper market being, you know, Allison um, went in his mid twenties to Liverpool. I think 40 is for, a, a, again, a top international goalkeeper is, is kind of what the market is almost dictating now. So I think Barcelona are, are afforded the opportunity to even be patient fielding those offers as well. Um, yeah. And speaking of uh, fielding offers and information, I guess this is an odd transition, but one of our, um, our, our, our favorite listeners as well, Douglas, uh, who's a patron asks, about Dembele, should the club do more to curtail the amount of leaked information regarding Dembele? Again, there's no leaked information about Silicon and any potential transfers, but about Dembele, it seems like everything is leaked every day. Alex, what what is with this? Is it that the media is making things up? Is it that somebody in the club is trying to motivate the player through some backwards means? We even saw that Robert Fernandez came out today, who's associated with Dembele, and said Neymar was late to practice a ton of times, and yet there was never a peep, a peep of that, and here's Dembele. And it seems like every hour there's a new silly story about him. Yeah, that's a problem for many, from many point of views. Not only from the point of view that being late is a problem, but also leaking everything is a problem also. So I agree that, yeah, the leaked information is an issue. It shouldn't be like that all the time. I mean, it's it's confidential. The Obviously, the club cannot be interested in leaking everything so you have to wonder why is everything leaked about Dembele right why is it like one hour later we we know from we can read it in the press what happened again because as you mentioned before with other players you don't have that right you rarely read I don't know if if Suarez was late or, or anybody it's only him so is he the only player who is always late is nobody else late ever hard to imagine right so yeah, you see, leaking information is a problem, but obviously he has to do better, right? I mean, I he's a professional. Both. Yeah, <laughs> He has to be better than coming <laughs> late and even hours late to training. I think both things both things are true. I think this is one of those situations where no one is in the right. Dembele could be better and the media needs to be better. I think it's both. Bo- again, both of those but are, are correct. The problem of the media or the problem of the media that sounds, sounds a bit harsh, but the, the, <laughs> general the, issue, the general issue with Dembele is his price tag, the yeah. fee. If he would be from La Masia, you do not read these headlines. If he would say would have come straight from Stad Ren for seventy million, as it was with with Dortmund, right? He he went from Ren to Dortmund for seventy million. So so say he would have come from Ren to Barca for seventy million, nobody would care, right? If he's late here and there, he would. 
he would be Justin, you know, a young guy who cost a couple of bucks, a young prospect. The problem is his price tag. He was the what third or fourth most expensive player in the history of football. Yeah, that's the actual issue behind it. That he's, as I said, that that he was that expensive. And also, obviously, that he's not a Spaniard, not a Catalan, not from La Masia. That's why the media is jumping on it so much. So this, this, this are the, the this is the background, in my opinion. What's what's the real issue? Why yeah. they are they are reporting everything about him? And, and unfortunately, I don't think this story is going away anytime soon. Obviously, um, as good as he has been. Um, now yeah. d- d- we'll wrap this show up. Apologies to Gwatham, Michael, and Chad. Didn't have time to get to your questions today. Uh, again, we had so many good ones, and this has been such a great discussion, Alex. So we're going to finish it off with James Lee's question. Which side do we most want to face and, and most want to avoid in the next knockout round? I, I think the one that we want to avoid, I'll answer this first, is simple. It's Liverpool's the one uh, of those teams that finished second in the group that jump out and say, no, you don't want to face Klopp. You don't want to face a team that wound up being second uh, and the runners-up in the Champions League last year with the attacking side that they have. And even if they finish second in the group, you know that they're capable of making a run. Uh, and then the side we most want to face, uh, people have been divided on Ajax because, again, you have those the, the two guys that, and not just uh, Delict and De Young, who we talked about here on the show, but they have a lot of young talent. They play an exciting brand of, of, of football. I mean, their match against Bayern Munich was maybe the 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 match of the of the of the group stage that 3-3 um draw that winds up having two red cards uh, that really ugly tackle from thomas Mueller that really just turns your stomach um but ix seems to be one of the ones that you want to face uh and but or do you not want to face them because they seem it seems to be friendly fire in that instance but again they're professional organizations that are different ix could make deals and talk to anybody there's no that that Cruyff uh, connection between the two clubs uh, doesn't mean that they can't face each other um, in a competitive match. So I I would say uh, Ajax is probably at the top of the list for me just because so I don't have to watch the Ajax match later. I can watch them both at the same time because they're playing each other. <laughs> I think as lazy as that sounds. Well, I agree with you that, and we all agree on on that. Let's be honest. Liverpool is the the toughest side, the most difficult side. So we do not want to face Liverpool. You 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 could. I don't. I don't want to even imagine what can happen at Anfield. So let's leave it like that, right? Mm-hmm. So we do not want. To, we do not want to face Liverpool. Um, I think the easiest side to face is Schalke, the German Bundesliga side, who are doing doing so so poorly this season. They are really a very poor side. So this would be the easiest draw, the easiest team to face. Yeah, I agree with that. With Ajax, it would be exciting from many ways from a narrative way because you know the ajax tie, uh, the, the pardon me the the Cruyff ties as you mentioned and also the way they are playing the narrative um around delict and the young would be interesting right the barca is interested in getting them both and now they are facing them so it would be an interesting narrative and also an interesting game because ajax plays very cool football let's let's face it they are really nice to watch so it would be a cool game uh, I think Lyon is also second. I think for Barca, Lyon would be a nice side to face. I think they are very beatable, uh, but also interesting. So uh, not a walk in the park, but still an interesting game and a doable one. Yeah, and they Roma, obviously, you did not mention Roma. Do we want to play Roma? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. There's there's so many narratives here. Um, now, Lyon took it to Man City, and I think they're actually one of the teams that I would not want to play in the next round. And then you look at the uh, Manchester United, the state they're in, and of course, their headman, Jose Mourinho. Um, and I think when it comes to those narratives that we're talking about, Roma is up there too. You're right. That completely even, uh, I have the note in front of me, and yet I didn't read it or think about it out loud, uh, that Roma, they're, uh, Kevin Williams brought this up on Twitter. It's a great point that there, I mean, and I can tell you behind the curtain as well, the show numbers suffered so much after that Roma match, and it seems like you lost, and whether or not you want, the argument of whether or not you want to keep those Kool-Aids around who were so fleeting and quit so quickly uh, after a loss to Roma in the Champions League, that that's another argument for another day. But the point is that, you know, that loss to Roma did something to the fan base, and it, and it did something to, to, to the, the Kool-Aids that, that want Barcelona to be something and Roma almost took that and to beat Roma in the Champions League there is this thought that maybe some of that comes back do you think that there's anything to that Alex that beating Roma is almost a you kind of have to close that chapter by by defeating them and kind of getting over that yeah totally totally yeah I from I did not until this very day I did not get over the loss at Roma let's be honest and I'm sure like 80% of my Twitter feed and my Twitter timeline agrees with that Roma is like such a dark chapter um so yeah we can could talk about getting revenge getting retaliation <laughs> against roma you know yeah. so that, that would be a narrative thing but also i think important for the team like to settle the score you know with and also if they then beat roma i think this could be a, a very positive this could have a very positive impact on the on the personality of the team you know on the mm-hmm. on the self-esteem on the the yeah the self-confidence the team gets from it so i think this could obviously be a, a very positive tie but also very tricky one and also very yeah i mean m- me just reading the tie barca against roma gives me nightmares let's face it let's yeah. be honest so but as i said i think it would be an opportunity to get some yeah retaliation to get some self-esteem if you win it so yeah it would be would be some tie definitely yeah yeah so i think after all that I, it was a much deeper discussion than i thought alex about that last question so i'm gonna go with yeah. liverpool avoid that was the easy one and i think i've kind of convinced myself that roma's gonna be the team that i think that it's best for barcelona to face even if they're not the opponent i want to watch they're the team I think that we'd most I, that I want to see them face, um, and you know we went through it. Schalke is probably, as you mentioned, the easiest team, but I think Roma is the one that I would want the team to. I think that helps them the most. I don't know. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I want that. Yeah, I, I'm not going. I will. I think I'll, that's. I think I'm saying that, that I do want to face them. It's you know I, I think it would help the team as I mentioned if they defeat them. If they come over that hurdle, you know, if they yeah. if they if they win against them, that it has would have a positive effect on the team spirit and all that. But still, I'm not saying that I do want to face them <laughs> personally. If I can choose, probably I would like Man United. Mm. I think because again, a narrative thing. I think Messi against an English team is a super nice thing because he can show. <laughs> All the Englishmen, all the British people who always, you know, are skeptical about Messi, yeah, but he cannot do it against English side sides. Although this is complete bollocks, as the stats shows, because he scores so many goals against English sides. But still, you always have the impression the English, like, do not, 
I don't know. Do not fully believe Messi is that good, you know? Yeah. We need another show of, of Messi against an English side. That's why I would like that. Also, Mourinho coming back to the Camp Nou would be a nice narrative. Yeah. Then again, I think it's a classy tie, you know, a really historical, cool tie, Barcelona against Man United. And then I think it's a doable match. It's a it's an opponent we can and should beat because right. they are not a good, a very good side. The moment, Obviously, they, they would park the bus, which Mourinho is super comfortable with. But I still think we have all the possibilities to go through against Man United, and it would be a much much nicer uh, tire than against Schalke, for example. Yeah, and I think that's the argument too that while Schalke is in essence, we have to say the easiest uh, yeah. opponent to face. I think Barcelona. You look at, I mean, that's the whole point about winning the Champions League, and I think Barcelona should beat every team that they could potentially face. So that's the whole point of it. That whether you're, I think you wind up splitting hairs between Schalke or or Man United. It doesn't. I mean, Man United might be a tougher team than Schalke, but Barcelona should beat them both. And I think that's that's the whole point. But they're more talented, that's for sure. Because exactly. Schalke is neither talented nor tough nor nor good, in my opinion. Yeah, and yeah. I watch a lot of Bundesliga, so I, I see them every week. They are they by far by far the poorest side from all of the sixteen teams left. And I also don't want to see. Um, uh, the midfield and Messi thrash the United States as own uh, Weston McKinney. I just want to, a little bit of personal bias, so I don't want to see poor Weston McKinney <laughs> get ripped apart. But the other, thing, I'm yeah. not sure he would play though. Well, I don't. I don't. Okay. Well, again, now we now we're really in the weeds here. But uh, I do want to also mention before we wrap the show up that it has been recently announced that Barcelona will be taking on Levante. So that draw has already happened in the next round of the Copa del Rey. So we'll uh, be facing them a ton in January and a little bit like those. Uh, what was it? Uh, four El Clasicos in 18 days. Uh, this is a little different. Three matches against Levante in in two or three weeks. Uh, so it's a little different <laughs> as far as the narrative there. But anyway, it is Levante in the next round. Now, Alex, we had a wonderful discussion. Things really came alive in La Ronda today. I'm I'm really happy uh, you were able to join the show finally after all this time. So where can else? Where else can people find you? Well, uh, I'm very active on Twitter, so everybody is happily invited to follow me and to uh, enter a discussion with me because I'm happily discussing everything <laughs> regarding football. And I will have his name. Uh, you just click on his name in the show notes and that'll send you to his Twitter. And as we wrap this one up, thanks again for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can also find us on social media. We're at on Twitter at the Barcelona pod or at Hilton D 13 for me. And on Instagram at the Barcelona pod, our closed Facebook group where these questions came from was tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. And you can also help us out on Patreon. And again, our Patreon questions, when we get so many questions, we figure out uh, which ones even rise to the top based on who our Patreons. And those are over at tbpod.link backslash patrons, where we also have added new match reviews that come out just again between, uh, you know, anywhere from an hour to 24 hours after the match happens, but I try to get them out within the day. So that wraps it all up. Thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast, and until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Or the Barcelona.